Alright, so Genesis chapter 3. We are... I got the wrong paper. We uh, got done looking... Well, last time we did marriage, right? We didn't have Sunday school last week, so there was kind of a... There's kind of a big gap between remembering what we did last week and what we're doing this week. But chapter 2 in Genesis was... Uh, we ended talking about the Garden of Eden. We ended talking about... Uh, man in the garden and the meaning of marriage and all that kind of stuff. Well, in chapter 3, this is where it's all going to come crashing down. What's up, Doug? This is where it's all going to come to a head, all going to be messed up. We're going to learn a lot about what goes on here in chapter 3 of Genesis. Um, and I'm probably I'm going to try to get through the first half of the chapter, do the second half next week. But we may not even get through the first half, depending on how much y'all uh, interact. You know, uh, I hope you get to hope we get to discuss a few things. But if you read the first, let's just read the first four verses of chapter three, and then we'll talk about what we've seen in those chapters. Okay. The last thing we saw, remember, was God's pronouncement of what marriage is, right? He gave us the pronouncement of marriage, the, the meaning of marriage, man should leave his father and mother and all that, you know. And then the last verse in chapter two was that the man and the woman, they were both naked and they were not ashamed. Uh, that's going to be important. So the, next, the very next thing he says is now, in verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord the God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. Let's just stop there and talk about what we've seen so far. So, they got the man and the woman. We've got the first marriage. We've got everything the way it's supposed to be. Man has his companion. He has his role in the garden. The woman has her role in the garden. Everything's going good. Everything's the way it's supposed to be. And then now, all of a sudden, in verse 1, the tempter shows up. This, this, this serpent who comes to tempt. He comes to uh, um, to basically he's going to he's going to deny God's command. He's not going to do it right out in front in, at first. First he's going to kind of work his way around it and we're going to see that as we go. But it's no big stretch. The identity of the serpent is who? Okay, yeah, it's no, no big deal. Revelation 12, 9 says that Satan is this ancient serpent. Uh, understand that the serpent here is, it's a created being. It's, Satan is the power behind this serpent because it says the serpent was more subtle than any of the creatures that God had made. So this is not, this is not an evil God battling against a good God. This is not, you know, this is a creature. You know, whether you want to talk about the serpent himself or whether you want to talk about Satan, the power behind the serpent, both are creatures that are made by God. Remember, Satan was an angel. Um, there's no information given to us about the form of the serpent. So talking about, you know, it always comes up. You know what's going to happen when we get to the curse. God's going to curse the serpent to go on its belly. Question always comes up. Well, does that mean the serpent walked on legs beforehand? There's absolutely no information about his about 
what he looked like, so there's no point in asking uh, if it was a lizard man or, or if all animals could talk or what, you know. There's really no point in asking any of those questions because the Bible don't give us answers to those. The point of the text that he's given us here is that the temptation to sin came in disguise. It came, it came veiled as uh, a creature. It came, it came not as, you know, he didn't show up with, you know, uh, the devil doesn't have two horns and a pitchfork. That's medieval paintings uh, started that. But it, it, he didn't come up show as a monster, you know, saying I'm here to destroy you and to make. He came as a subtle, wily, you know, uh, crafty uh, serpent to uh, to deceive Eve. He uh, he was crafty and shrewd. That word subtle, uh, it uh, it sounds just like the word naked in Hebrew. And so the last verse we saw in chapter two was the, the man and the woman were naked and they were they were not ashamed. And then here comes the serpent who is subtle. Uh, that word sounds exactly like the, the word for naked. So it's almost like he's he's combining the two stories. He's he's given us a transition from one to the other. What's the first thing the, the serpent does. He questions the woman's understanding of the command that God has given, didn't he? What does he say? First thing out of the serpent's mouth is in verse 1. <laughs> yeah, he says, he says, Yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Did he, what, what's wrong with that? He misstated the command, didn't he? And he's putting doubt into her mind. He is doing that. But did he, he asked the question, did God really say you can't eat from any tree of the garden? What's wrong with that picture of God's command? He's twisting it. He's twisting it. He is. Because God didn't say they couldn't eat from every tree. What did he say? You can eat from God every said you can eat from every tree except the one. Right. And so Satan is kind of it, it seems like he is kind of testing the waters. He's testing to see if she knows what God has said. He's testing to see if if, uh, you know, uh, she is he's going to be putting doubt in her mind about God's motives, about his personality, about whether he really wants good for them. Uh, but he starts off not by saying, hey, that guy's a bad guy and he's a liar. He, he, he starts off in the way the question is framed. Doesn't it kind of sound like he's trying to say God is? Is, God is a mean old God trying to hold you back from something, doesn't it? I mean, it's almost like, did he really say he's limiting them. that you can't have any of the garden? And he's, yeah, he's limiting them. He's keeping them from good things that they're supposed to be able to have. And the woman, the woman, uh, she corrects the serpent, but she misquotes God's command too, doesn't she? What does she say? She goes to correct them. The servant says, has God really said you can't eat from every tree of the garden? And the woman goes to correct the serpent about what God said. What does she say? She says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. That's true. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it. And then she adds her own little thing, doesn't she? Did God ever say not to touch? Uh -uh. No. And also, she didn't just say, she didn't use the same words God used. Because remember, God didn't just say, hey, you can eat from any tree. He said, you can freely eat from any tree. 
she kind of limits that. She uses the same language as the serpent does. She says, you can eat from any tree. And then she says, but of this one tree. She gets that much right. But then she says, you're not even allowed to touch this tree. Why would you think she would say that? What are some, I mean, there's no, there's no way to know for sure. I'm just asking your opinion. Why would she add that in there? First of all, did God actually speak to Eve and say, you should not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? No, she got that information. She got that information from Adam. She was not created when God gave that command. Adam was the only one that God actually spoke. I'm mean, not saying that she didn't speak, God didn't speak to her. But when that command was given in Genesis chapter 2, there was no Eve. And so a couple of things might be possible. Maybe Adam added it forward just because you know how women are. He just want to make sure she wasn't touching it. You know, he's like, just don't. Maybe, maybe she just misunderstood. Maybe she just misunderstood the command. Maybe, maybe she, you know. Maybe she just didn't. Maybe she's paraphrasing. I mean, who knows? Well, who knows? But the point is that Satan sees an opening with her here because she doesn't hold fast to exactly what God has said. To exactly what God has said. She's kind of willy-nilly about the commands of God, about, about what God has actually said. She doesn't seem like she understands why they're not supposed to eat. She doesn't understand. She doesn't seem like she understands uh, the fact that God has told them, uh, given them all this freedom to do whatever they want, provided for all their needs. Uh, but still, he has, he has just commanded that this one thing they're not supposed to do. And I want you to make sure that you understand one thing that we're going to see throughout. A lot of the focus is on Eve, right? The woman. And Adam, he's going to come in a little bit later. He's going to, it says she gave the fruit to her husband who was with her. But what you need to understand that's not going to come through in English too well is that all the verbs in this section, all the verbs, all the you's that you see, God told you not to eat. Do you believe? All those are plural, which means both of them are standing there. It's the woman who's doing the talking, but Adam is standing right next to her while the serpent is talking to them. And because of the role God has given him, what was Adam supposed to be doing as his wife was being deceived? When his wife first misquoted the command, what should Adam have done? Ho, oh, ho, that's not what God said. Hold on. Who are you? Remember, his task was to guard and to keep the garden. If he was a guard for the garden, the first thing he would do is make a leather belt out of that joker. <laughs> the first thing he would do is boot the serpent, get him out. And so what we're going to see is when it says, um, look at in verse one, it says, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat from that ye shall. It's actually a verb that they put case endings to make it plural singular it's plural he's talking to the man and the woman and we're going to see later when she eats of the fruit she says she says she gives the fruit to her husband who was with her and he eats as well and so uh he you're going to see you're going to see them misquote the commands you're going to see adam fall down in his role of being leader of being protector of the garden you're going to see all those things she says you're not allowed to touch the fruit of the garden um 
she kind of adds a stipulation that's not there. And this is interesting to me. It may not be interesting that much to you guys, but she actually adopts. Remember when we talked in first uh, in the chapter one about in chapter two, the difference between the, the names Elohim, God and Yahweh, Lord God, how Yahweh is the covenant name. And he is the you know, he, he's showing how he's in covenant with his people. She adopts the name that the serpent never uses Yahweh Elohim. The servant never uses Lord God, the Lord God. When you see, I told y'all that before. I don't know if y'all were here. Some of y'all might not have been. When it's when it's in your in your English Bible, when it's L O R D, all four letters are capitalized. That's God's name, Yahweh. And when it's capital L and small O R D, it's Adonai. It just means Lord. So you can tell that from from even in your English Bibles. But she doesn't use the covenant name. She repeats what the serpent said. He said, "Has God not not Lord, not the covenant name, but just God. Has God really said to you? And she said, no. He said, we may eat of all of the garden, but of the fruit of the trees, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, we shall not have eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. She also, I mean, there's so much in here. She also cuts back on, she also cuts the knees out from the consequences, doesn't he? Right. She didn't just say, God didn't just say, uh, or, or else you'll die. He said, surely, you will surely die. He said, it's a, it's a fact. And so she misquotes the command. What does that tell Satan? What does that tell the serpent when, when she's misstating the commands all over the place? Tells them, I have an opportunity here. Because she don't really know. She don't really know what God has said. I mean, she's kind of familiar, but she don't know exactly. And so what you're going to see is really interesting to me is that when Satan starts uh, denying the commands of God, he's going to use language that sounds exactly like what God used. He's going to say, surely you won't. He's going to say you will not surely die. And all. he's going to use the same phraseology that God used. So it shows that he knows the command. He knows what. What God has told these people. He knows how to tempt them, and he's doing it subtly. He's doing it, he's doing it um, sneaky, sneakily. Sneakily? Is that a word? Sneakily? Sneakily? Come on, that's a word. Sneaky. Okay. First thing he does is he, he maligns God's nature. That's what he'll do. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. He says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. He, he almost makes God sound like God has given you a command. And the reason God has given you a command is because God's just a big old meanie, and he don't want you to have the good things. Doesn't it sound like what he's saying? He says, you know what, God, he says, you won't die. He said, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be opened and you'll be like little gods. You'll know good and evil. They're, they're, they're almost, he's almost telling them like. He's telling them what he wanted. I mean, that's what Satan was always after was to be equal with God. To be equal with God. That's why he fell. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what he's showing them is. You can be equal. He's, yeah, he's tempting them for something that they don't have. Yeah. Now, instead of thinking, God gave them every tree of the garden. He gave them every single one. He said, you can freely eat from any of the trees, all of them. You pick one and go to town. He said, but of this one, this one tree, 
Don't eat. And what did they do? Instead of focusing on what God gave them, the provision God made, instead of focusing on all the blessings that they had, all the abundance that they had, what did they focus on? The one thing that God told them they couldn't have. Focus on the one thing. And Satan made it sound like the reason God don't want you to do that is because he's jealous of you. He don't want you to have good things. He don't want you to be happy. He don't want you. Is that still the way Satan operates today? Yeah. Instead of focusing on all that God has given, all that God is doing, we all focus on the one thing that we think we want. Well, God, why, why haven't you done this for me? You just don't want me to be happy. You just don't want me to, you know, whatever. When the reality is that God has provided us with, with more than abundance, more than we could possibly get. Now, here's the sticky part. Satan's comments here, we're going to see this as we move through. They're filled with half-truths. Mm -hmm. They're filled with half-truths. Because he says you won't die when you eat it. And really, we're going to find out they didn't die. I mean, there's a caveat about that. They actually did. But we're going to see that Adam lived 930 years. And so they didn't really die. And the text itself says that when they ate of the fruit, their eyes were open and they understood good and evil. So it's almost like Satan's words were not just not just out and out lies. They were lies. But they were filled with half-truths because their eyes weren't open. We're, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but their eyes weren't open the way that they thought they would be. They thought they would be open and they would know good and evil. They'd be like God. But what happened was when they ate of the fruit, their eyes were open and they understood good and evil and they realized they were evil. Mm -hmm. They realized that evil was them. Yeah. And they were naked and they were ashamed and they were guilty and they hid from God. And it, it turned out so not the way that they thought it would turn out. But technically, there were some true statements in what Satan was saying. But his motive was to deceive them into believing that this would be good for them. This would be better for them. This is what's going to make you happy. This is the one thing that God is keeping back from you when in reality, God was keeping them from the one thing that was going to destroy them. That makes sense? Y'all with me? He still does the same thing today. God has given you commands. He's given you commands. And what do we say? You know, we say, it's not going to hurt. It's not going to be that bad. You know, and Satan tells us, he whispers in our ear and says, you know what? God's just trying to keep this from you. God's just trying to keep you from being happy. When the reality is God's ways, uh, his paths are always going to lead to our joy, to our peace, to our fulfillment. Always. He uh, is working all things for our good. That was that's really the first lie. You won't surely die when the reality is they did. They would. And they did uh, in more ways than one. And he disparages God's motives. We already talked about that. Uh, you're missing out on something good. So there's the temptation. <clears throat> the serpent comes in. He says, this God is just being mean to y'all. He wants you to have so much more. He, I mean, he don't want you to have so much more. There's so much more of life to be had, and he's keeping it from you. And that was all it took. From that moment, now temptation had been planted in Eve's heart. And the temptation would start to grow within her as she looked at this fruit, whatever it was. We don't know. Most people say an apple or whatever. We don't know what it was. We just know it was a fruit. In verse, uh, in verse 6... 
Now we talk about the woman. She's looking at this fruit. It says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Doesn't that seem how, see how fast it happened? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like one verse, a half a verse, and bang, the sin's done. All of this temptation, all of this conversation, all this thinking about it, then, then the, the fruit starts to tempt, the woman's tempted by the fruit, and then pow, it's over. She, in a moment, she sinned, and it was done. Hey, Jason, with the first line that said, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that almost leads you to think that up until that moment, she never really thought, you know, I'm gonna eat, I really want to eat that. You know, it was like in that moment, it was like, well, yeah, that, that does seem like it'd be pretty good. Yeah, she's justifying yeah. eating. Yeah. Uh, the first two, it's interesting to me that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes. That's the exact same description of all the other trees in chapter 2. Yeah. You remember? God created all these trees that were good for food and pleasant to the eyes. We talked about the beauty of the garden. We talked about... So the first two descriptions of this fruit were the exact same descriptions used for all the other fruits. He didn't make it stand out any more than any of the other. He just simply said, just don't eat this. Right. Well, what, what we're saying here is that she started, because of the temptation that came from outside, Satan and the serpent came from, now the temptation is growing inside, and she is justifying why it's going to be okay for me to sin. Mm. This is just like those other trees. It's good for food. I mean, it's pleasant to the eyes. And it's desirable. That word desirable comes from the root where we get the word covet. Mm. She coveted it because it would make her wise. Interestingly enough, First uh, John, you can see the, um, the, the lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes, pride of life—they go go with these temptations of the of the of the first well, woman. Uh, but there was this tree is described. This fruit is described just as all the other trees were described, except the one thing: it was desirable to make one wise. She focused on the good of the fruit, didn't she? She was oblivious to the fact that God had forbidden it. That didn't even enter into her mind. She tried to justify herself. You know, uh, she was basically saying she does. She did the same thing that you and I do. You know, I, I realize it's wrong, but really, I, I mean, this is what we got to do. This is what we got to do. Good is going to come out of this if we'll just go ahead and do it. If we'll just go ahead, something good is going to... She was sinning so that something good would come out of it. I remember a phone call I had with a man and this was years ago, and uh, he was planning on doing something, and he was talking to me. We were counseling and all that, and I was telling him, biblically, that's not correct. And then finally, we just got down to the brass tacks, and I said, do you think Jesus will be okay when you do this? And he said, no, he won't. He won't like it at all. He said, but I'm going to do it anyway because I have to. You know, this is what my family needs. This is what my life needs. You know, he said basically he was sinning so that good would come out of it. There's no there's never a reason to sin so that good will come out of it. There, there's no reason to justify yourself to justify. You know, we think of all kind of things that, you know, I, I know I'm not really supposed to do this. But, uh, you know, it's something uh, pick something, you know, cheating on your taxes. It's almost tax season. I know I'm really not supposed to, but I can't afford to pay this. You know, I can't afford to. The, there's no way to justify it. And so she says, 
She's, she's focusing on the good. And then in a moment's time, she saw the fruit. It was good to the eyes, pleasing, good for food, desirable to make you wise. So she grabbed it. She ate it. She gave it to her husband. He ate it. And it's done. It's over with. All of that and the sin is done in just a minute. Notice, you see where it said the man was with her in six? When the woman saw the tree was good, at the end of that verse it says, she did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. We talk a lot about Eve and Eve messed the whole thing up and you women are all blah, blah, blah. But the reality is Adam was standing right there the whole time. And he punked out. And he was silent. He was the time never said a word. Silent. Never said a word as the serpent tempted his wife. As his wife began tempt, being tempted by the fruit for internally. Never said a word. Never said. And that's why in the New Testament you will often see Adam is the blame. It'll say, death came by the sin of one man, Adam. The first Adam came and he fell and he, fa he failed. And you'll see that over and over again. The blame is resoundingly put on Adam for the sin. It was the woman uh, who was deceived. You'll see that in Paul's writings. He, he uh, talks about the woman being deceived. There's no deception for Adam. Adam knew exactly what was going on. He wasn't deceived by the serpent. He just allowed it. Remember, God face to face spoke to Adam and said, you will not eat from this tree. And, and this first sin in all creation, you see the roles. Remember the roles we talked about? Husband, the wife, the humanity over creation, humanity under God. All of those roles were messed up right here or corrupted in the first sin. The woman, instead of listening to her husband, listened to the serpent. The woman knew God's command, so her husband had obviously told her at some point God's command. She listened to creation, to the serpent instead of her husband. The man, instead of listening to God, listened to his wife. And both the, the couple uh, obeyed the, com the command, basically, of the serpent rather than their God, the creation rather than the creator. So you see in this one sin, all of, all of the roles of creation got mixed up and turned around and corrupted. All the, all the ones. And you're going to see that played out as God curses um, all those, the, the man, the woman, the, the serpent, and, and all those kind of things. And so what happens when the first sin takes place? The first shame the first guilt happens. Verse 7 says, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now, this is going to be the picture of what mankind is going to do for all of the rest of eternity. Not eternity, but the rest of creation. When they saw that they were naked... When they had the guilt, the shame of the sin that they had done, they tried to fix it themselves. They tried to sew together some leaves to cover up their nakedness, to cover up their shame, to cover up their guilt, to do all of these things in order that they would be that they would be uh, that they would be covered. That God would look at them and God would see that you know it's not so bad. They're they're covered. They they're not you know they're not naked anymore. When the reality is, we're going to see that as we go. That after God pronounces the curse on them, He is the one that's going to have to cover them. 
And it says, And they heard the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the tree trees of the garden. Now they gained the knowledge of good and evil, didn't they? But they realized that they were the ones that were evil. The serpent had not... His uh, his uh, promises, his his lies had had not fulfilled what they thought it was going to fulfill. It hadn't made them gods for sure. They realized that they were naked. They realized that they were uh, guilty. They realized that they had sinned. And when they heard God walking in the cool of the day, they hid. That's what sinners always do with God. Yeah. It takes a move of the Holy Spirit inside a person's heart to bring them to a holy God to call out for repentance, to call out for forgiveness and salvation. Without the Holy Spirit drawing a person, sinners will always go hide. They'll go hide from God. They always do. And so they hid. Now, back to this, back to the serpent's thing. Was the serpent right? When they ate, they didn't die. Adam lived 930 years. And their eyes were open. It was filled with half-truths. I told you that before, but the reality is what we're going to see is they actually, there, there's two ways you can look at it. Number one is they spiritually died. died. Death is a separation. Death. What death means is separation. When you die physically, your soul is separated from your body. When you die spiritually, you're, you are separated from God, and eternal death is Eternal separation from God. So the reality is when they did eat, they spiritually died. Their relationship with God was severed. Their, their communion with God, with the Holy God, was severed. Um, that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is they w were supposed to have physically died. They were supposed to have dropped dead, but God gave them grace and mercy. He's going to come and question them. We'll get to the, we'll get to the question and, and the cursing next week. But God came to question them. He said, what have you done? What is it that you've done? And he gives them opportunity to confess. And, and both, of them, both of them won't take that opportunity. And so then he places a curse upon the creation, curse upon the serpent, and punishment upon the man and the woman. And so uh, he, says, uh, he says, what verse are we on? 7b. The eyes of them both opened. They sewed fig leaves together. Um, they tried to cover their works. And then in 8 it says, And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees. Remember, God made the trees for their benefit. Now they're using them to hide from God. And the Lord God called to Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Did God not know where Adam was? Why did he say, Where are you? He wanted to see if he would tell him the truth. Yeah, he's going to give him more than one opportunity to confess his sin. And this is, to me, this is just the, you're going to see next week, we're going to see just in the rest of this chapter, the, the, the wonders of God's grace. Even now, I mean, God could have struck them dead, should have struck them dead immediately when they sinned against him. They broke the only command that he gave them. And he should have, they should have died. But instead, God is going to come. He's going to give them more than one chance to just come to him and confess. Come and repent. Come and confess before him. And uh, they, they're, they're really not going really to take it. Verse 9, 
Lord God called to Adam. He said, where are you? And he said, I heard this. Is what Adam said. I love this. He said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. That don't even make sense. Where are you? God knew where he was. He was giving him an opportunity. And Adam knows that God knew where he was. Adam didn't pop up and say, here I am. He said, he gives him the reason why he was hiding. Is it the right reason? No. He didn't say, I sinned and I ate of the fruit and I hid because I knew that I was guilty. No, he said, I, I was naked, so I hid. I mean, that don't even make sense. It's God's going to say, who told you you were, you were naked? He gives him an opportunity. Adam, where are you? He knows he's hiding. Why are you hiding? And instead of coming and confessing his sin and saying, you know what? We've sinned. Basically, he says, you know what? I, I was naked. I was naked and afraid. And not the TV show. I was naked. He wasn't ready to confess. He was, he was ready to... He was telling him... He was confessing the consequences of his sin, not the sin. Don't we do that all the time? We say... You know, when it's my own fault that I got myself in a jam, instead of confessing my sin, I just complain about the jam. Or I cry out, God, I'm in such a jam. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to... Instead of understanding and confessing the sin that got me here, Adam is hiding because he's ashamed and he's guilty because he's sinned. But when God says, where are you? What are you doing? He doesn't say, I've sinned. He's not ready to confess. He's not ready to come clean. He said, I hid because I was naked. I hid because I was ashamed because I was naked, basically. And he wouldn't have been naked. I mean, he was naked, but he wouldn't have known and been ashamed of his nakedness if he had not sinned. And so he's playing the victim instead of the criminal. He's playing the victim and saying, you know, uh, this bad thing has happened to me and I'm naked and I'm not worthy and I, I shouldn't come before you. He's doing everything that he can except confess his sin. And God says to him, and he said, I heard your voice in the garden. Verse 11 says, and he said, who told thee that I were naked? He says, look at this chance that God has given him to confess. He says, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thou that thou should not eat? I mean, do you think God knows what happened? Do you think Adam knows that God knows what happened? I mean, it's like, duh. I mean, he asked him the one thing that he told him not to do. Adam says, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I'm just naked, so I hid. And God says, who told you you was naked? Did, did, did you eat of the tree? I mean, did you eat of the tree? And Adam is still not ready to confess. What does he do? He throws Eve under the bus. <laughs> he throws Eve under the bus. He blames, but does he really blame Eve? He blamed God for giving him it. He blames God. Yeah. He says, he says, and the man said, he asked, he asked him a simple question. You ever, I go, th go through this with my kids all the time. I'll say, um, what, what, give me a good example. I'll say, I'll say, uh, Sophie, go clean your room. She said, I'm painting my nails. I said, I, I didn't ask you what you were doing. I told you to go and clean your room. And God said, have you eaten from the tree? And instead of saying either yes or no, he says, well, it's really your fault. 
It's really your fault I ate from the tree. He says, and the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. So he finally does confess that I did eat, but not without saying it's really not my fault because the woman enticed me to eat and you gave me the woman in the first place. So it's really your fault. It's really your fault that all this goes on. Now, how do you think God is going to respond to that kind of quote unquote confession? Adam, he is not confessing. He's playing the victim. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. You gave me this woman. This woman got deceived by the serpent, remembering the fact that I was standing right there the whole time when it happened. He's playing the blame. He's playing the blame game. God, God responds to his uh, accusation with silence. He doesn't say another word to him until he goes to pronouncing. And he says, uh, and the Lord God said to the woman, the God turns to the woman and says, um, this small print here. What is this that thou has done? And what does the woman do? She does the same thing he did. She puts the blame on the serpent. The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. She plays, she plays the, the victim as well. She, she says, you know what? It wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. The serpent tricked me. The serpent tricked me, even though I knew your command, even though my husband was standing right there with me, even though I knew that it was forbidden that I should eat, he tricked me. Did the serpent really trick her? No. Well, I mean, in a way he did. In a way he did, but in a way he really told her that God was a big old meanie. God was a big old mean dictator and if she really wanted to be happy, she really wanted to have joy and she really wanted to be like God, she would go ahead and eat. So yeah, in a way he tricked her, but in a way he basically pit her against God and said, God don't want what's best for you. You need to take it for yourself. You need to take it for yourself. And that is the sin of eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God, they didn't trust God to give them what they needed. They wanted to take it themselves. They wanted to take it independently of God. And that was the, that was the, um, that was the sin. And so both played, both played the victim. And that's where we're going to stop. But I want you to see, I want you to see that today, sin, temptation, and disobedience happen exactly the same way today as they happened then. You'll have maybe a temptation from the outside. Probably won't be a talking serpent, but it'll be a, a voice whispering in your ear. You'll have the temptation from inside, your wretched heart will say, I want that. It's the pride of life. It's going to make me wise. It's going to, God is keeping something from me. And you'll, you'll have the temptation from inside. And then when, if we do sin, instead of coming to God in repentance and faith and coming to him and saying, God, I, I, I've broken your command. I'm sorry. What do we do? We blame everybody else and we justify. You know, I, I wouldn't have done that. How many of y'all, I know y'all married folks know what I'm talking about when you say, you know, I'm sorry, but I wouldn't have done that if you wouldn't have did what you did. That's not an apology. That's not an apology. That's you justifying your actions. That's what we do when we sin against God. God, you know that I shouldn't have cussed out Joe next door, but you know how Joe is. <laughs> 
That's how we do. And that's what happened. The whole creation was good. It was perfect. And all of a sudden, basically what you see here is, if you want my opinion, Adam fell down in the one role that he was given. He was to guard and to keep the garden. As soon as he saw this serpent enticing his wife to disobey the command that God spoke to him face to face, he should have took charge. He should have yanked that serpent out and cast him out of the garden. But instead, because of what he did, because he allowed his wife to dictate what he would do, and he allowed the serpent to entice his wife, uh, because he allowed those things to happen, we're going to see it's Adam and Eve that get tossed out of the garden, not the serpent that gets tossed out of the garden. Next week when we come, we're going to look at the punishment that they give, and we're going to see how that curse of creation is this this is the whole reason why we need the gospel why we have the gospel and we're going to see in the midst of the curse the first thing that God is going to do in verse 14 when we get to it next week he's going to look at the serpent remember what happened God came to the man first he said where are you man says I was naked so I hid he said did you eat from the fruit he said the the woman you gave me and then he looks at the woman he says what have you done and she said, the serpent beguiled me and I ate. And next week we're going to see that even after that, he turned to the serpent and he gives the serpent no opportunity to confess. He gives the serpent no opportunity to explain himself. He just starts pronouncing the curse. Cursed are you. You're going to go on your belly and you're going to be cursed above all animals. And right in the midst of that curse, he's going to give the very first prophecy of Jesus. He's going to say... He's going to say, I'm going to put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of you. She's, that seed is going to crush your head and you're going to bruise its heel. That's the first prophecy of Christ. And so what you see here in Genesis chapter 3 is basically the theme of all of the Bible. From this point on, we're going to talk about this next week, so I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. But from this point on, you're going to see the battle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent over and over again. You're going to see it in chapter 4 when Cain, who is of the devil, 1 John tells us that he kills his brother Abel. And then Adam and Eve have another son, Seth, and his line is going to be the godly line. And you're going to see that go through all the way. The Pharaoh of Egypt, by the way, Egypt, the Pharaoh's headdress had a big snake on the front of it. Seed of the serpent is going to be battling against the seed of the woman. And you're going to see the seed uh, promise go from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then it's going to go down to David. And he's going to promise David some one of your seed is going to sit on the throne for eternity. You're going to see that seed promise go all the way down until it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ and then in Galatians Paul could say all those who are in Jesus Christ are the seed of Abraham and so what you see here in verse 15 of chapter 3 as we go to look at this next week is you're going to see basically the theme of the whole Bible and it's going to be kind of the key that unlocks the whole Bible because the whole Bible is about Christ. Right here in Genesis 3, even when everything goes to pot, when all creation goes and falls under the curse, there's a prophecy given that there's going to be hope. And then we're going to see the grace of God demonstrated. Is there any questions, comments? I've been doing most of the talking. Y'all ain't said nothing. Everybody tired? Y'all stay up late? No. I didn't either. Okay. Well, let's pray. Father, we love you.